introspective, intense, reflective. Tyson Golston Davis is an American composer in his junior year at the Juilliard School. He began composing at the age of eight years old and entered the University of North Carolina School of the Arts as a high school freshman studying with Lawrence Dillon. He has taken advantage of, of numerous opportunities at the school, writing for Black, Eighth Blackbird, the Ataka String Quartet, the UNCSA Cantata Singers, and the UNCSA Symphony Orchestra. Currently, Tyson is working on a commission from the Juilliard Quartet, and later this summer, he will have a world premiere at the Lucerne Festival. Tyson Davis, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, a little background for the listeners. Tyson and I have known each other for several years because he was my student when I taught at the Interlochen Arts Academy summer program. He was in my music theory class. So Tyson and I have met before in the interest of full disclosure. How are you doing, Tyson? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Um, but yeah, that, man, that seems like it was ages ago. Oh, yes. In class. yes. Oh, yes. You were in high school. Now you're a... Uh, a rising senior you're 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 a rising star composer i mean you've got these amazing Uh, opportunities coming up that we'll talk about a little bit more at the end um of our conversation but first i i would love for you to tell us about how you came to want to be a composer how you recognize you know what what your story of, of sort of pursuing this craft obviously at a very high level how that began and what you know initially interested you in pursuing composition well you know i mean this goes back to you know early not early but like mid elementary school like fourth and fifth grade actually uh i was just really interested in creativity um you know from whether it was lego sets like and and you know improvising on how I could build things with my Lego sets. Um, I used to make enormous buildings out of them to ships. And then that sort of, that sort of initial creativity that, you know, I kind of didn't follow the Lego instructions. Mm -hmm. Um, That sort of led to me um, sort of writing plays. Uh, So when I was like nine and 10, I like started writing these little, I mean, they were terrible, but these little plays there's one about the Titanic, um, you know, and they, they sort of were a creative outlet. And I was also very interested in painting when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I won Hubble County Fertilizers um, with some drawings. But I, creativity was always really the thing for me. It wasn't per se, um, per se, you know, performing music per se at first, but it was more just the raw act of creativity that really got me into it. What instrument? Yeah, and what instrument did you play growing up? Originally, well, I started with piano, mm-hmm. with just just playing piano. That was because I was my grandmother had a piano. Uh, my mother was uh, grew up playing piano. My aunt grew up playing piano. All of them grew up playing piano. Um, and I was just, I was really intrigued by the instrument and just like music in general. Um, so you know, she got me a few piano lessons, um, a, you know, a beginner piano book, which taught me about notation, you know, the, the basics. Um, and then right then and there, I mean, as soon as I started playing piano and sort of know my way around the instrument, I started writing. Um, and like this writing was, you know, 
like improv improvisational material you know on you know whatever piece i was learning at the time really um so it just sort of reinterpreting um things yeah. to what um I, re I relate to a lot of what you're saying because i remember being a, like uh -huh. a broadly creative kid growing up too uh -huh. and and i'm going off of what you were just discussing and then you talked about improvisation with your Legos too. I'm curious in yeah. your process as a composer now, how, what, to what extent does improvisation continue to play a role in that? I think mostly it comes in my own creative process when it comes to writing. I write a lot by hand, uh -huh. uh, if you can't see, you know, and um, so there's a lot of variation that comes within like, you know, what the form might be, what the tempi might be, or what even the actual material might be, you know, um, you know, just, just rawly developing variation. I think that that's become sort of improv for me in the process of writing, um, but, the, but the music when it's done is pretty much set um, in stone for the most part. But I mean, if, if I didn't improv while I was writing and improvise on the material that I had and augment the material that I had, I, I don't think my music would be nearly as interesting. Do you, you know, if I was following a chord or something, mm -hmm. do you perf yeah. like, do you perform as you're composing, like work ideas out mm -hmm. on the piano or is it all in your head? It's like a common, it's like a lot of it is in my head and then I'll go to the piano to check it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I'll go back or I'll, you know, sit here with my metronome and, mm. you know, make sure that the rhythms are the way that I want them to be and how I can manipulate them. Um, but I would say most of the time it's in my head. And that's also why my, my sketches are so messy um, because they're sort of all over the place. But then they sort of gradually get more organized the more I sketch and the more I mm, deconstruct it, you know more deconstruct the material that i have i am um, for the so this is obviously an audio medium but tyson yeah. and i can see each other and so i'm gonna paint a little bit of a picture about tyson's setting um he's in his bedroom and he's sitting at a desk under a lofted bed and he's surrounded by manuscript paper pinned to the to the walls hand with handwritten ideas on it which is like a totally iconic composer image in fact i will yeah. take a screenshot before we yeah. leave so we can use it like in social media or something um and i i really uh relate to that scene because i usually work by hand too mm -hmm. and i'm curious something that i try to do and it seems similar to you, which is where the, the yeah. question is coming from. Um, is like I try to build in like an iterative, like points of iteration in the process of working things out. So like I have to revisit mm -hmm. what I've done in different ways. So like something in my head that then I play on the piano poorly because I'm not a pianist. And then like I write, yeah. I write it down and then I like play through it again and then I put it into the computer and I listen to it and like there's like like five to ten like moments of re-engaging with the idea mm. like little check-ins like that is that is that something you try to do as or is that something that you think about as well uh, yeah. i i would i would say i would say so i mean 
there i mean points of engagement regarding looks like the material like there's like a there's like a signpost within the like in the in the in said line where i i guess the way i think about it is is i like i force myself to like interact with the idea in one way or another at different stages it's like an opportunity to to put an edit so like oh absolutely that's what i meant that's what i meant where yeah it's it's you know it it goes back from me whether i'm singing it you know or you know sometimes consciously sometimes not or humming it um playing it at the piano or you know lately you know over the last four or five months i've been going to the gym a lot actually Mm -hmm. um you know, try to get back in shape and it seems like i don't know why but when i go to the gym and afterwards or even subconsciously during the gym like i'll be thinking about a how i get to the next step mm-hmm. in the piece or or how or I'll, or i'll be starting to like my the gears start churning yeah you know it's like it's like exercising my muscles you know oils the gears of my brain uh-huh. it seems like lately so um and i'll either vary the material or stretch it out in my mind and it sort of allows me to continue a relationship with the material or the music in a sort of healthier way that i never would have really thought Mm -hmm. you know yeah i think um i mean i know that there i've heard people other composers talk a lot about like the connection between physical activity and mental work. Um, mm. I always think it's good to like get away and just like let your brain sort of like work on it on its own. Oh, yeah. I call it cooking because it's like sort of like you're simmering yeah. something on the stove or something like that. Um, I, what are that's it's interesting to me that that's sort of like a new development for you, and I'm curious. Yeah. I, I was going to ask. Because I'm you're you're younger than I am, and I remember what it was like yeah. being a composer at your stage. And you're sort of at this. If if it, if your experience is similar to me at all, you're kind of at a at like that first chapter after your like nascent like I'm a composer and I'm going to do this sort of thing where like yeah. you might be putting away some composers music that was really meaningful to you. Like I remember when I was in college, like I loved Ligeti so much, like a lot of people yeah. do. And I don't really listen. Yeah. I haven't listened to Ligeti in a really long time or something like that. Um, and you, and you bring up like you've done more physical activity regularly, which has like impacted your compositional process in like this unusual surprising way. Are there, do you see at this point in your, um maturation as a composer like other things changing in your process or like what inspires you uh you know uh-huh. i w- i would say you know my music is definitely maturing it, it truly is aging you know like wine in, in, a, in a way that i think is in a good direction you know i think when it comes to uh, my music is, is on a technical level you know these things that like of motivic development or extreme structure with form, not extreme, but but being extremely aware of the form of the music um, or seeing how I can manipulate something. I think that has really been an extremely powerful change that I've been sort of uh, attempting to go toward, um, you know, over the past, you know, four years really. But I mean, I don't think I had the, the, the knowledge to do so. And so I think, 
over, the, over that span of time, in addition to my professor, you know, at, at, at Juilliard, Dr. Beezer, um, I think that sort of pushed my music in the way, in a, in a successful way, in a more successful way than I think not. Um, you know, I think the, aesthetically speaking, you know, my, my music really hasn't changed aesthetically, but it's become more aware of itself aesthetically, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know about what it's about what it's interested in or about what um what things it's interested in doing mm-hmm. i don't know if that is question no i think uh, it's that's exactly the sort of answer i was hoping for because i do think you're yeah. at this really wonderful stage where a lot of there's a lot more active self-awareness in terms of at least what i remember like gaining more like control over the self-awareness of what's going on Mm -hmm. instead of just being like i want to do this and that and that sort of thing um in our last conversation which was just a chat not a podcast interview we were talking a lot about um music that we are both fond of like modernism and um elliot carter who's who's one of your favorite composers and i know you've been spending a lot of time looking at his string quartets um what how would you describe your style at this point or maybe specifically mm-hmm. with relation to the piece that we're going to listen to later distances because there's a really yeah there's some really incredible aspects to that that i noticed but i'm i before we talk about it i'm just curious more generally how you would describe as the aesthetics mm-hmm. of what you're trying to do you know, I was talking. I was talking to Andrew Norman about this in my jury, actually, and we were talking about you know the, the challenges and in and, and, and how one how you know certain people might approach um, a person that's interested in modernism, like how I am. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I would definitely say my music, like like I said to him, is like a continuation of the modernist aesthetic in a way that is sort of sort of i don't know sort of not getting so lost in the sauce if that makes sense mm-hmm. in a dogmatic way um you know sort of absence or attempting to be absence of, of, of dogma um that you know that we that we you know past have seen you know um so i think it's a continuation of that in in awareness of 21st century aspects of in 21st century aspects of life mm-hmm. um yeah, I, I would definitely say that. And, and my music has always been really interested in that. I've always been interested in that. I mean, I remember when I was in your classroom, I mean, and I mean, that year, I was really obsessed with Perez. Mm-hmm. Really obsessed with Perez. Mm-hmm. So much that I wrote a piece. I wrote, I mean, I wrote a percussion on piece that sounded exactly like his, his you know, ionization, like verbatim. Um, you know, even the siren and everything. Um, so it, it's always been... I've always had a certain amount of intrigue when it comes to, you know, as, you know, as the textbook definition of, of, of modernist aesthetic, not just music, but just truly um, reflecting society as it is in a, in a non, in a non escapist or a non, um, I don't know, non, non for profit, not for profit <laughs> way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in a, yeah. Well, I think modernism too is, and the, the things that um, 
the the emphasis on efficiency with the materials so mm. like notific development like you've mentioned before this is something that i really take from that um tradition in in addition to the embrace of dissonance uh but like having that um economy of means um in terms of where the ideas are coming from and trying to like develop as much from you know certain parameters uh you know intervallic relationships or rhythmic ideas or a combination of both and that sort of thing um but in the, i was listening back to this this piece that we'll get to in in a in a moment and there are just really one wonderfully expressionistic things too i think that what you just des describe as like attempting to be a continuation of this tradition that you're very fond of but in a very 20th 21st century way because it is not you know it's not 1963 yeah. anymore um i think that definitely comes through the the vibrant timbres uh you know gestures and use of rhythm um are very energetic in a way that you know this really super stiff modernist music might not might not have so i think you mm -hmm. do achieve what you're trying to do really well um thank you I yeah appreciate it. i i just yeah. i love that you're not afraid to be dissonant because that's what i like yeah i really like to do that too not to say that people who don't write dissonant music are afraid but it is definitely as, as we discussed in our last conversation it is not the this style is not you know the norm in, especially for yeah. like a gen z composer like oh yeah, yeah yeah it's it's very um uh, seemingly passe for like a better words in a sense but there's a lot of there's a lot of vibrancy in life and and, and what you do so yeah. please stick with it um and it's great to it's great to hear that you've been fostered in this direction by the people that you're you're learning with at Juilliard as well. Yeah, and it's and it's so strange because I mean well not strange. I think that that is an an attestment to how great of a professor he is. But but I mean considering the high contrast level of Dr. Beezer, Robert Beezer, with me, as far as aesthetic concerns, I mean we're night and day as far as aesthetic concerns. Mm -hmm. But I mean really what well, really is very similar. Um it's in different languages, I guess. Mm -hmm. So the piece that we're going to listen to in in a moment or so is of yours. It's it's relatively recent from the last couple of years. It's called yeah. Distances for Chamber Ensemble. Can you tell us a little bit about where that piece came from? Yeah. Well, it was it was one of my first you know really big you know commissions. Um, after you know um me me going on tour with the national youth orchestra in europe when i was in a freshman um the song before freshman year in high school uh college um but it was commissioned by the albany symphony um with david allen miller um up there in albany um and i think you know everyone it seems like everyone everyone had a pandemic piece mm -hmm. and i really think this was my, this was my pandemic piece um so, you know, I, I remember, you know, the first tricklings of, of, of interest with, you know, me starting to put down material. I didn't put it down there, but I, re I recall, you know, visiting Roosevelt Island, um, you know, that, that, you know, long slimmer island between Queens and, and uh, 59th Street um, here in New York. 
Um, and I remember at night, and it was just so like introspective and and distant seemingly, which is where I got the name from. Very distant from Manhattan, but yet it was so close because you know the 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 Queensboro Bridge attaches to it, mm-hmm. and then it, it, it goes over it. And this was so beautiful and so seemingly poetic because I get I I mean I didn't go there that late at night, but it was like eight o'clock. But it was like it was so seemingly alone you know mm-hmm. you know there was not that there were people lived there you know but everyone was in their houses and i couldn't tell and it just seemed so incredibly distant from the busyness of you know where i lived at the time you know 65th street um and broadway you know so it, it, it was an extreme contrast and it was so beautiful and so poetic that i think that was just, that was the sort of beginning mm-hmm. of, of my distances um yeah and so you know the piece i don't think it's i don't think it's my strongest piece by any chance you know thus far but i think it it was going in the direction that i currently am still going in but i'm i'm much more there than i was then um as far as the technical aspects such as motivic development and economics uh an economy of means um, but I think it's very dramatic, you know, mm-hmm, I, I think absolutely. it has a lot of drama. Yeah, I think it's almost, almost like a, um, I'm trying to remember how many players is in that piece. Is there nine? I believe so. I'm, I th- I'm looking I at the roster right now. Yeah. 10 or something like that? 10. Yep. Yeah. It's like, it's almost, it feels like a cast of drama characters, like a cast of like, like um, drama students mm-hmm. engaging conversation and in a, in a diatribe almost like a collective controlled um conversation amongst the instrumentalists um and sometimes they take over um whether it's the marimba having um several gestures or it's the flute commenting on those mm-hmm. gestures um or the double bass commenting on it so i think it's i think it's very conversational mm-hmm well, I wouldn't sell this piece short. It's a very compelling piece. Oh, um, but I know composers are always their harshest critics. Yes. yes. Yeah. I, I'm curious, is when when you were commissioned by the Albany Symphony, was it for an orchestra piece? And then did they change the instrumentation when the pandemic happened? Well, it was it was commissioned in the mid. In the oh, midst okay. Of the so it started because right? it's kind of an unusual ensemble. I'm I was curious how it that is. came up. The instrumentation came about. It was kind of a, it was kind of an odd programming because it was it was distances. It was William Walton facade. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that piece. No. It's, it's kind of lesser played. It's for soprano. And this very strange chamber ensemble has a saxophone in it, um, and there was also this really obscure Brahms sinfonietta. I think mm-hmm. it was like an early Brahms, like it wasn't a symphony, obviously. It was like a very small sort of like he wrote when I was about my when he was about my age. I'm surprised he didn't destroy it, um, knowing how he is. Um, sinfonietta. So, so it was kind of strange. So they they were like her, they were like you get these ten instruments. It's you didn't get to well they you you get a choice between you get a choice you get a mix uh-huh. of what's in oh, yeah, what's yeah. in the Bronx and what's in there um and so that's how it became um 
I mean, and I'm, and I'm very, you know, happy with that instrumentation. Mm-hmm. I, I chose, you know, I didn't, cho- I decided to not choose the saxophone from the facade. Um, you know, not, you know, not for anything in particular, but I just chose not to do it. Um, but yeah, that's that's how that instrumentation became. I'll just say, but it was a, it was a challenge. Yeah, I'll just say for the um, before before we we'll talk a little bit more about it before we listen. But for the for the audience, we have flute, clarinet, doubling bass, clarinet, bassoon, mm-hmm. trumpet, horn, which I particularly like that you included horn. I think that's really nice. In yeah, a small chamber setting. I mean, small ish. Um, percussion, violin, viola, cello, and double bass. So. Mm-hmm. Kind a symphonietta esque sort of thing, but not um I guess very similar to that, but not like as large as like alarm will almost like an extended pyro. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yes. Um the before we listen to it, before I introduce this this recording that we're gonna listen to, um, is there anything else about the piece that you would want the audience to think of? I think other than what I, what I was um, piggybacking on what I was saying about that sort of conversation with sort of, you know, dramatic characters, um, I would just say that there's a certain amount of, yeah, I, w- I would continue that, but there's a certain amount of contrast and attempting to, you know, come together in a successful way. And whether that happens or not, I think it's up to the listener, I think, when it comes to this piece. Well, I think the the instrumentation, the story you told about going to Roosevelt mm-hmm. Island and sort of feeling the distance from where you lived mm-hmm. in there and the, and the contrast of the, in, mm-hmm. the sort of social mm-hmm. and literal environment of Roosevelt Island from where you lived. And then also thinking about, like, in that place, you're sort of isolation from the people who live there because they're oh, in yeah. their apartments and it's probably during you know a more lockdown focused time uh, yeah. in the pandemic i think this instrumentation really brings the conversation and also like the distinct points of view and that experience that sort of origin story that you were sharing um the instrumentation really helps with that because there's not a lot of blending sounds there are a lot of unique you know sort of distinct voices that come through um very comfortable oh yeah yeah yeah, definitely Uh, and they're really cool this piece has really really cool textures in it um and uh we we talked the last time we talked we talked very fondly about dutiyu and it kind of in that sort of the modernism of the piece kind of reminds me of dutiyu because there's something very sensual in the textures and timbres and that sort of thing um so this the we'll listen to the recording now this is a very fresh performance recording from uh friday june 3rd a performance that i helped organize with my concert presenting organization in michigan apex contemporary performance kevin fitzgerald is the conductor and i'm just going to list the names of the people um in the group before i do that this is audio from our live stream that didn't go out on the internet but we recorded um so it's not like a studio recording and it's it's very good performance um but i just wanted to provide that context the ensemble is uh, flutist jordan smith clarinetist nick thompson bassoonist bryce richardson trumpet trumpeter 
Amanda Ross, hornist, Luke Dickow, um, or Dicko, percussionist John Brown, violinist Tara Mueller, violist Ben Prinzer, uh, Jamie Gallup on cello, and Stephen Castiglione on double bass. And again, Kevin Fitzgerald is conducting. So now we will listen to this recording of Distances by Tyson Davis.
And that was Distances by Tyson Davis, performed earlier uh, this month, uh, depending on when this comes out, earlier this summer in Ypsilanti, Michigan, by Apex Contemporary Performance, uh, an ensemble led by Kevin Fitzgerald. And it was a it was a wonderful piece on that concert, and uh, it, wonderful to be able to share such a, a current recording. And I'm curious now. Let's look to the future, because as I mentioned in the introduction, you have some exciting uh, performances and commissions coming up, uh, most notably with the Juilliard Quartet. And when we were talking about distances before we listened to it, you described that piece as an earlier as having been written at an earlier point in your uh familiarity with or um sort of just experience with certain aesthetic goals so i'm curious in the piece that how have you grown since you wrote distances and how is that manifesting itself in this new piece uh for the juilliard quartet Okay. Yeah. And I also meant to say, I don't know why I forgot about this. Congrats on your premiere. Oh, thank you. This this episode is, thank you very much. This episode is not about me. It's about you, Tyson. I know, but but um, it was, it was very, very interesting. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. On the same concert that Distances was performed, uh, I had a percussion concerto called This Could Be Madness that was premiered. Um, Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Um, But back, back to you. (laughs) back to you um um, tell us about i think it's you're you're so aware of what you're trying to do in your pieces and Mm -hmm. i think it's really wonderful to um hear like you be analytical about like okay i know that i'm i'm still going for the same aesthetic goals now as i was when i wrote distances but i recognize that distances was at a different point in my familiarity with these tools or aims and so like what are you doing now that's different or how how are things going to come across in this new piece or any of these pieces that you have coming up i mean oh there's so there's so many things i mean i mean first off i mean um and uh it's deconstruction of the material even more um, and you know, in a purely compositional way, the, the material and I um, have really, you know, taken our relationship to the next level. And mm-hmm. since, you know, we've become very intimately aware of each other to the point where sometimes I had to take this, this board down and you know not look at it for a while because I get angry. <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, this piece, I mean, the, the sketches that you see behind me and over there on the piano and on this drafting table behind me. Um, I mean, this is a very minute fraction of the string quartet. Like, I don't, I don't even know, like, <laughs> uh, 5%, maybe 3%. And it's, you know, I have 23 pages of sketches. Um, and I mean, for 5%, and, and you know, not all of it goes to five, the 5% of that piece that I've written thus far. Um, but I think there's a, there's a lot of really understanding, it's sort of like cooking, like really understanding um, where like these products like these sort of i guess in a sense you you know you go to the store and you buy soda and then you look at you know the ingredients on the soda list and then you start studying i guess how said you know ingredients came to make you know the diet coke or whatever you know and so um because of that i've been 
trying to really study and understand the material that I have, why it is the way that it is. Do I like, do I genuinely like the material? If I don't like the material, then it gets thrown out or it gets, you know, augmented to something else. Um, and because of that, there's been an immense amount of studying of other great pieces that I've been very interested in. Um, the Dutuyur quartets, and not just string quartets, but, you know, um, you know, orchestral works, the Carter quartets, you know, other, other pieces, and not just pieces of modernism, um, but pieces, you know, all the way back to Haydn and Bach. Um, I've been, I've been re-listening to a lot of Bach lately. Um, specifically, you know, Walt uh, the Walter Clavier book one. I mean, I don't even need to tell you how great that is. But, um, so, and in addition to that, this sort of in immense sketching, there's been a lot of reading um, over the last six months. I've, I, my teacher went to Yale. And so he's very interested in reading. Um, and I, he, he encouraged it. He encouraged it. And I was sort of, I, I wasn't sort of I wasn't that intrigued at first, but then I got really, really intrigued into it. And so I started with the Charles Rosen book, Cla the classical style. Um, and that book just sort of specifically, I was thinking I was very interested in form and very interested in seeing how I can manipulate and continue formal structures in my music. Um, and so with that, you know, I looked at um, you know, from anywhere from Haydn, you know, late Haydn to, you know, Mozart and late Mozart incorporated few fugal ideas and canonic ideas to Beethoven. Um, and that sort of like took me down a rabbit hole of reading more and more about not just structure, but economic means of structure and economic means of material. Um, and so from there I read, um, I read you know, Schoenberg structural and style, style and idea, um, by Schoenberg. And, and now I'm reading a book on motivic development um, and developing variation, uh, Brahms, on Brahms and Schoenberg's analysis of it. Um, so I think, you know, that, that these, these things, which, you know, are only far and few, um, these two very big things, you know, the um, really, dating my material for a very long amount of time and reading about how, just, just in general, how well-crafted music is well-crafted, simply as that, it, it just goes back to that. Um, I think that's really pushed me in a way that I don't think I would have gotten that without it. How long is the piece supposed to be? The quartet? Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's gonna be 20 minutes. Mm. It's, a, it's a huge piece, yeah. Um, and with that piece now, so like I said, you know, I'm examining material, you know, pitch collections, um, and I've, I've also been very interested in variation, like mm -hmm. the, just like very variations, theme and variations, um, but not in the, you know, the traditional, you know, there's a theme, then there's a, then there's, you know, 12 binary, maybe, um, variations of the piece, but sort of more organic sort of transitional like like the theme gradually transitions into the into the variation and then another and then the variation that variation transitions to another one and so more gradual there's a gradual arc the gradual gestalt if you will of of continuation of without without unnecessary stop do you 
how do you think about a longer time period like that? It's, you know, I, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I mean, for a while I was writing very intentionally, I was writing very short solo pieces, you know, for the past, you know, uh, last July is when I last wrote one. I wrote these solo pieces for, you know, voice, alone voice, um, not vocal music, but, you know, uh, one voice instrument, you know, viola, violin, cello, etc. Um, so I was writing these very small, you know, one voice short pieces that were kind of doing the same thing, but on a more microscopic level. And so now I've, you know, there the sections of the piece, such as the introduction or a transition from, you know, here to there, you know, they've been stretched out in a way that they are not just moments in time, but they're, you know, chapters in a sense, you know? Um, and so, and that's why variation has become so strong in my mind right now for, you know, um, for instance, a variation on this, on this, on not necessarily theme, but on this motivic idea or ideas, you know, could be a transition. Like one of the various, could just be probably a transition into another variation. Um, and so I want it to gradually evolve itself. And so because of that, that's why I'm sketching so much because I don't want to get too lost in the sauce. I don't want to have this sort of, I don't want to have a thing where material is piling up on top of each other too fast or there's, or there's not, the transition is too abrupt or there is no transition. Mm. Sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes it's necessary, sometimes it's not depending on the music. Um, so I'm just trying to really let what specific mutation of thematic aspects simmer um, for a long amount of time? I found um, the piece that we mentioned of mine that we mentioned before that was on the same concert as distances that this could be madness. It's a long piece. It's the longest piece I've ever written. It's like 35-ish. And I found I was thinking in a very similar way bring Mm -hmm. in my own experience uh Mm -hmm. where the transitions became like really critical long-lasting periods of the piece where like Mm -hmm. and really focused in on the transitions um insofar as they weren't really you know they weren't connective tissue they were landing spots that were evolving um over long periods of time um i feel like that's uh, in my well, in, in my experience with this piece, it was such a really important thing to think about. So I think it's, I mean, I'm a little biased to say that I think that you're, yeah, you're, I mean, you're approaching I am this too... in a really great way. Um, so Glad. I'm glad. I mean, because, in, you know, over the last year, I've been studying immensely, you know, modal counter, counterpoint, modal counterpoint, and then like gradually graduated to the tonal counterpoint, but I have this class, you know, at Juilliard called Advanced Counterpoint. Does um, Philip Lasser teach that class? Yes, yes, Lasser, Lasser is still there. Yeah, I mean, amazing. Teacher. Yeah, yeah. I took, um, I, was, I did his summer program in college, so. Yeah, in France? Yeah, yeah. Amazing, yeah. amazing. Um, but like, you know, genius level man. But it's two and a half hour class on, for me on every Thursday. And then I have advanced harmony next year. It was also two and a half hours, I think. Um, but I think that study specifically of, of fugue that we studied in the end, 
of, of this, this uh, semester and we wrote Fuse. Um, but specifically, it's sort of a metaphor and sort of literally as well for, for music in general, you know? I mean, it's not, it's not that hard to write a fugue entrance, you know, a few, like mm-hmm. the entrance of the voices, you know, or it, it really isn't, or, or, or the dominant pedal at the end of the fugue, but what's really the art of the fugue, <laughs> no pun intended, no, but really what it is, it's, it's the transition, like the fugue episodes, it's the episodes and mm-hmm. the middle entries, like it's that, it's that sauce between specifically the episodes that are really the artistry of a fugue and how you know you can use a sequence or how you can use the um sort of skeletal uh, elements of the fugue subject and transition yourself into a new key you know that can be very contrasting i think it's so uh interesting that how and not surprising at all but how steeped Mm -hmm. all of your thought process is in you know common practice tradition and that repertoire i think so many people who are disparaging to um modernist or highly dissonant music think that it's like a necessarily a break from those values Mm. and and clearly at least for you it is not and so i hope the people who listen i doubt anyone who listens to this podcast is like skeptical about the music of living composers just given like who produces the podcast but i do think that it it's it's a hearing you talk about how you approach um writing your your music um you know from essentially a fairly traditional classical lens um i think is a great reminder that it's a it's a linear th- those aesthetics are sort of a linear out outgrowth of you know the classical music people tend to pit mm-hmm. against more you know modernist or dissonant music i um, agree before before we wrap up can you tell us about when the the string quartet is going to be premiered and yeah. also you have a piece at the lucerne festival coming up and i would love for you to share a little bit about that as well yeah, definitely. The string quartet is going to be premiered um, in early January um, at the Camera Houston in Houston um, with the quartet and the programming Mendelssohn with it. Um, I can't and I, I can't remember who else, but it's extremely exciting. And the camera commissioned co-commissioned it with the Kennedy Center, and the Kennedy Center is performing it in May. Is uh, posting that in may at the kennedy center which i believe is going to be very close to my graduation because uh-huh. it's may 17th the premiere is well the the kennedy center performance is may 17th and i want to say we graduate high school i mean college god it's been so <laughs> i want to say we graduate college on the 20th of the 19th so that's going to be that's going to be extreme but i'm i'm very i'm looking forward to that i think this piece you know the, the like as we were talking we were talking about the lucerne piece the lucerne piece was really a very large um breakthrough for me with the elements that i've you know continued to grow with over the last couple of years um it's called gray fireworks and actually funny enough the, the, the these two pieces are both based off of paintings i'm very intrigued by paintings and specifically abstract paintings um from from modernist era believe it or not mm-hmm. <laughs> but um they're both by the same painter um helen frankenthaler um 
you know, her paintings have been extremely intriguing to me and extremely, you know, sensual and, and beautiful to me over the past you know, couple of years. Um, and there's several of her works at the MoMA and at the Met um, that I go see a lot. But um, but that piece, Great Fireworks, the piece of violin piano at the Lucerne Festival, um, that, that was a big gateway. And I'm very glad that I wrote that piece before I started writing this piece, because I think I think writing something, because it's five minutes long, writing something on a slightly smaller level that has the, the elements that I want to incorporate within this piece really um, like forced me to solidify um, the elements that I wanted to do. And it's a, I'm assuming it's an orchestra piece, is that right? Or oh, the no. Lucerne piece? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's for violin piano. Oh, no. Okay, cool. Yeah, I know that they. Piano. I know that they do orchestra music by. They by do. Composers, they do. So I assumed. I'm but glad no. I asked. I'm glad I asked. Yes, I haven't written an orchestra piece in a in a, in a while, and, and I'm glad specifically. Yeah. I'm well, it's glad. a lot. It's a lot to handle, and I think um, not that not to suggest that you couldn't, but yeah. you know we've seen in, in in distances the the sort of individual relationships between the instruments. Mm -hmm. Obviously, in chamber music, that is really something to play up and and exploit, and it's harder to do with an orchestra piece. So. It, it is, and I was, and I'm definitely. I mean, eventually, I will, and I and I love running for orchestra, but I. I wanted to mature myself a little bit more before I wrote another piece, you know, to, yeah. Well, but that's another, yeah, another well, time. Obviously, this is a very exciting time for Tyson Davis. And I think that's great because I'm a huge fan of your music and I'm glad that people are commissioning it and performing it. Um, before we go and, and listening to it, like, during this interview when we listen to your piece distances um before we go where if people want to find you and your music where should they go yeah my i have a website um it's tyson j davis composer.wordpress.com um you know my website has my you know, the whole shabam the, the concerts uh, on there my pieces and they have links to my youtube channel um, you can just type in my name, Tyson Davis Composer, um, um, YouTube, SoundCloud, um, and, you know, Facebook, you know, my, I post frequently, I guess. And so. you're on Instagram. I am. I am. That's how we I am. scheduled this was over Instagram DMs. It's true. It's like true. A, a new thing in my life is scheduling things over Instagram very, DMs. But... It's very Gen Z. Yeah. It's very, yeah. Well, then I shouldn't do it because I'm not Gen Z, but. <laughs> okay. So. Well. Well, Tyson, thank you so much for your time, and um, I'm so happy that I got to talk to you, and I'm so happy that we had this recent performance of your work to to sort of make a centerpiece of this, and I can't wait to hear your string quartet when hopefully there's a recording I can um, access, you know, around, you know, next year when it's after it's been premiered, and um, I, uh, I can't wait to, to hear what what music you write in the future so i meant to give you the title gosh oh yes it's, give, it's give called, us the title yeah. yeah it's called amorphous figures amorphous That's figures the... so yes great fireworks is the piece at lucerne and then yeah. amorphous figures is in january with the juilliard quartet in houston so yeah well yes. awesome well thank you so much tyson and um have a good night you too take care Thank you.
Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.